This is the Disability Law Show on the Bell Talk Radio Network. All right. Hello. It is a lovely Saturday afternoon out there. Just a beauty. Three minutes after one o'clock. John Scholes here along with Tamara Gopian, courtesy Sam Firu, Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. This is the Disability Law Show. Always ready to uh, to take your calls, answer your questions anytime over the course of the next hour. We already have emails piling up, so we're going to get to those. Lucas, thank you. Right, right off the top, just sent one right away. We'll get to Lucas here in just a bit. Some other matters to take care of as well. You want to chime in, join the show, help at disabilityrights.ca. That is always the go-to email, don't you know? And to reach out to Tamar. She's got a great team working with her as well. 1-855-821-5900. Your matter may be something you want to discuss of more of a lengthy and personal nature. That's fine. Give uh, Tamar a call. Uh, again, 1-855-821-5900. Our email works. Help at disabilityrights.ca. But here and now to call into the station, have a chat with us. Love to get you on the air. Love to answer your questions questions the way that works 416-872-1010 the number and you want to text a question as well 71010 just that simple and we'll uh, we'll take flight we'll take off and get going here we got uh, Lucas standing by as I mentioned tomorrow but uh, the week that was the case of the day pal what do you got going on on this Saturday Saturday it's sunny we're out and about yeah, and listening to disability law show on 1010 <laughs> why not so- why not, guys? Why not? And so, you know, I thought I'd start off the show talking about the basics. Okay, so what is mm-hmm. disability law really about? Because I had a call, interesting call this week. I'm going to tie it into John. And so it is really, if you are, quote unquote, totally disabled from doing the essential duties of your job. If your doctor is supporting, that you cannot work. You should be applying for disability benefits and in theory should be approved on this basis. But I'm going to tie it into a phone call that I got. It was a repeat call, actually, John. And this woman had been on the path of a partial work capacity for a while now. So she has health issues. These health issues have been preventing her from working fully. And so she's been working with her employer to try and accommodate her to continue to work as much as she can. But it's gotten to a point now where the doctor has said, look, uh, this isn't sustainable. Uh, You cannot continue on this partial work capacity. You know, the doctor basically has recommended to her that she start a disability claim. And the challenge becomes now, what is the disability insurer going to do with this type of profile? And of course, John, you know this, if they can find a reason to decline the claim, they will. And this is exactly what they've done for this poor woman, because they've said, look, we don't think that you're disabled in accordance with the strict terms of our policy. So we think that you are able to do, quote unquote, the essential duties of your occupation, and that doesn't make you totally disabled. We, we talk about this a lot, John. I mean, what's total disability? It, it doesn't mean that you're laid up in bed every single day, every moment of the day, or that you're completely restricted from doing anything. But it is a fine line between what makes sense in terms of actually working versus following medical advice, which is what this woman is doing, saying, look, I have tried, and my doctor is saying enough's enough, I'm gonna be doing more harm than good. And so this gray zone can be really, really challenging. The takeaway here, and this is what I advise this woman as well, and and we're on the path now of thinking about a legal claim against the insurance company who denied the claim, by the way. It all comes back to the medical support. The, Mm -hmm. The doctor is very clear that, look, we tried it with some restrictions and limitations put in place with her employment. 
that was not working. We gave that effort. And now the best thing for her from a health perspective is to stop working altogether. And it frustrates me, frankly, when the disability insurers just sort of put up that barrier. It's it's a decline from the outset. So it's not a cutoff. It's not as if they paid her for a little while and they cut off the claim. They're just stopping it right at the, at the start of it. And it becomes really tricky now for her to manage, you know, what do I do? What are the financial situations here? Do I try and force myself to get back to work? We're working through all of that. But at the end of the day, this is too easy for the insurance companies, John. It's too easy for them to say, no, you know what? We think you should continue having this partial work capacity because the devil is in the details. And it's not enough to say that, oh, we think you can. Um, you know, it's 51% of the things that you can do, whereas the doctor's saying 0%, let's say, right? Just to put a number on it. So I think if you're sort of listening to this, if you're thinking, gosh, what, what do I do here? You've really got to have the backing of your doctor. You've got to have those details set out and medical information as to what it is that you're capable of doing or not doing and lining that up very clearly with the main things that you do with your job. And if you are, from a health perspective, not able to do those main things, then the disability insurer should be stepping up and should be paying the disability benefit. And we always say your your doctor, your medical team, they are the gatekeepers of your health. They have the final say. They are the Absolutely. judge and jury of whether you can, you can and are capable of doing your job for whatever time period you need to be off, right? Absolutely. And in theory, even the disability policy contemplates that, right, John? It, uh-huh. It's supposed yeah. to promote, right, the idea of, look, if you've got a, a partial work capacity, most policies actually have a top up that they pay over and above some earnings. If you are in that zone of you can do some things, but not all things. But usually that flows from actually being approved for a while. Once your disability benefits are approved and then you're attempting to get back to work in a partial setting, then those terms and conditions will come into play. And the insurance company knows that. So this is probably why they're resisting this poor woman's claim because they know that she'll be on claim for a little while. Perhaps there's a attempt at returning back to work and then those top up you know, payments come into play or what we call rehabilitation disability benefits. But if they don't even get there, the hope is that she's just going to give up, right? That's what most people do. They're just sort of throw up their hands. They figure, okay, well, I guess I'll have to just struggle through as opposed to listening to your body, listening to your doctors, making the choices that make sense for your health (laughs) and allowing, frankly, someone like myself or my team to get involved on your behalf to move that needle with the insurance company. Because I think what frustrates me as well is the fact that if she wears herself down so much so, she is going to be put in a situation where perhaps a return to work is not likely at all, John. Then what? Yes, the disability insurer should be compensating you for whatever period of time you're not capable of working when you have that support from your doctor. But it becomes a real fight at that stage, as we know, as we talk about week in and week out, if your disability is going to be that prolonged that does not allow you a return to work ability. 
Want to get to uh, Lucas's email here quick before we uh, take a break. By the way, outside of the show, you can uh, reach out to Tamar anytime, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. And if you want to learn more anytime on your own time, it's really simple. There's a, a website constructed to be very quick and concise and easy to use called ltdfaq.ca. But we'll get to Lucas here. As mentioned off the top, he's eager to get this uh, email out to Mars. So I'll, I'll read it for you. It says, hey, Tamar, I've been on disability benefits for almost a year while waiting for surgery for an old knee injury. A co-worker mentioned there's a possibility that the company may soon be sold. If I lose my job, does that put my LTD claim in jeopardy? Good question, Lucas. And, and the short answer to that one is no. It shouldn't put your disability claim in jeopardy if you are currently on claim. The disability insurer, although that disability policy is technically tied to your employment, actually has their own obligations to continue to adjudicate your claim, make the assessments as to whether or not you continue to meet the test, and release that disability benefit month over month, regardless of whether or not you're still employed with that employer and whether or not there's a possibility of returning back to that employer. So the two are somewhat different if your claim has been crystallized. In other words, if that application has been made, while you were employed, while the policy was in place, while the employer was still active. And that certainly is, seems to be the case with Lucas. And in fact, I'm going to add another element to this, John, which is this. Just because your employer changes carriers, let, let's say the employer is still viable and they just decide halfway through your disability claim, you know what, we're just going to go with a different insurance company. For Lucas, again, it shouldn't matter. You should not be without coverage at any point in time. Okay, there's some regulations around that. The insurance companies know this very clearly. So one should stop, the other one should pick up. There should not be a gap in coverage for employees. Having said this, of course, <laughs> sometimes what ends up happening is you get caught in the middle and one is pointing the finger to the other and so on and so forth. And that would only really happen if your disability started right around that changeover period. Again, not the case with Lucas, but let's see a scenario where, you know, you've been on the same policy and plan for a period of time, your health issues are, are you know, persisting, they're problematic, and then the doctor says, okay, you're done on this day. The key thing is, whatever that day is, when the doctor's saying you're done, you are not going to continue working, now you we deem you disabled and not able to continue working. Mm. Whatever insurance company is on for that date and point in time, that is the insurance company that you want to pursue benefits with. So you make the application, you pursue the disability benefit. If you're getting the pointing of fingers, well, heck, just make another application to the other insurance company. If they both say no, then you make a phone call to me. Okay. But at the end of the day, if you're sitting in that situation, it's not really fair or correct and the insurance companies know this to sort of try and pin this to a different insurer if the date is clear that there is certainly a disability that should be compensated for either one or the other should be paying that benefit and they know it by the way john they know it yeah lucas fantastic question appreciate that if you want to reach out further and have a conversation with tomorrow or a member of her crew you can do that now as we get into a short break that number 1-855-821-5900 help at disabilityrights.ca that's the email address that uh, lucas used and you can use it anytime as well but here and now still taking your calls and texts live on the show we'll continue 416-872-1010 that's the phone number text easy 71010 as well we'll continue the disability law show on the bell talk radio network 
You're listening to the Disability Law Show on the Bell Talk Radio Network. Alrighty, welcome back. It is uh, 119 Schools here, along with Tamara Gopian Partners, Sam Firu, Tamark, and LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in this country. Always advisable to reach out if you have questions about uh, your uh, particular woes with a disability insurer, maybe on behalf of a friend or family member who can't navigate it that well. Well, then uh, reach out to us here. You can call us right now, 416-872-1010, or t- uh, text 71010 your questions as well. And beyond that, reaching out to Tamar is great to do that have a conversation 1-855-821-5900 and help at disabilityrights.ca we'll continue on here tomorrow um something i know you uh, you often get asked and it, it, it's sometimes a question depending on how long the person's been on disability but if some if someone is off on disability and they're getting benefits should they or at least how often should they be communicating with their employer what do you think good question really good question and i think you know, it sort of ties into even Lucas's email from our yep. last segment, right? About, look, I heard my employer is closing shop. You know, what what do I do in situations like that? And so, you know, at the end of the day, the employer is entitled to know roughly, basically, if you're coming back to work. That's really the core of it. And you are obligated to respond to the employer's inquiries with you on that when you're on a disability leave. And they may even require sort of a brief medical note, a one-liner, just from your doctor saying, sure. hey, you know, this individual is off, you know, they're going to be reassessed in a few months, you know, the, the return to work is not yet on the horizon, or it is, and this is what it's going to look like. But the employer really is not entitled to know sort of the details as to why you're off, the medical information. That really is information reserved for the disability insurer. And so it can be a little bit of a fine dance, I suppose, about how much information to share and really what your obligations are in terms of updating your employer. Some employers, John, they like very regular updates. I mean, I've I've heard from some people every month they have to supply another medical form or something to the employer. I personally feel that's a little bit much, especially if the doctor has already communicated that nothing's going to change for three, four, five months. As well, I know for sure, or for certain, at least for most insurers, they will also keep the employer updated. You know, a lot of the times they'll send a letter to the claimant saying, okay, we've approved your benefits for another month or two or whatever. And they'll actually copy the employer to that letter or will provide some version of that letter to the employer. And so sometimes it seems like it could be too much. And I, it's if the guiding point really is even with, you know, dealing with your disability insurer, if it's doing more harm than good, then it's okay to create a little bit of arm's length with your employer. The real key is that you want to be somewhat responsive so that the employer cannot suggest to you that you've abandoned your job, you didn't communicate, you didn't cooperate. That's really the main concern. Generally speaking, most employers, you know, as long as they know roughly what's going on, they're generally okay. But of course, if it's getting to the point where it's sort of harming your health and all of that, much like with dealing with a disability insurer and perhaps an aggressive adjuster, you kind of want to have those things put in writing. You want to have, you know, some creating of a paper trail of what the dialogue is between yourself and the employer. Sure. Um, because, you know, yeah. if, if they're sort of creating more issues for you than it's worth, then that exposes potentially the employer to some issues there as well. Look, we've actually created a really helpful memo on this, John. We talk about the website that we've got, ltdfaq.ca. We've got a series of really helpful, straightforward 
uh, little two, three page memos on really key and helpful topics. And one of the ones that we've just created is actually one dealing with communications with your employer. So if you're sort of in a situation much like Lucas, for example, not knowing, okay, do I have to reach out to my employer? What are my obligations here? What do I say? What do I not say? This memo is extremely helpful. And if it's you know, you still want to have a discussion with one of us, don't hesitate. John will give you all the details. Our consultations are absolutely free and confidential, and we can deal with your specific situation if you're not sure how to navigate the employer while you're dealing with your disability claim. Yeah, like Tamar mentioned, if you go to ltdfaq.ca, just keep scrolling down. You'll see a bunch of boxes right down the bottom right. There it is, communicating with your employer while on LTD. They've got it covered, man. They've got it covered. Always reach out, 1-855-821-5900 for, uh, for anything else in that regard. Want to move over to Tyler, uh, sent an email. You can as well, as you know, help at disabilityrights.ca. And Tyler says, does my insurance company need to make sure I can get another job before they cut me off at the two-year mark? My foot was amputated due to an infection a few years back. I've been struggling with my prosthetic and skin lesions ever since. I can sit at my computer or watch TV for a few hours, but moving around and doing basic things like driving, really hard. I've always worked in physical jobs, which is now completely out of the question. What are the insurance company's obligations in my situation? Really good email, Tyler. Super helpful. So let's start off right off the top about the comment he made to us, John, about the two-year mark, the cutting off of the two-year mark. Yes. I like to talk about this a lot because I still find people will call us and say, hey, so I guess I don't have any more benefits. Hey, tomorrow I I, I got cut off at the two-year mark. That must mean I don't have any more benefits available to me. No, that's a myth, guys. If you get that letter saying the definition is changing and you're not going to qualify after the two-year mark, it does not mean that you're not necessarily entitled to the benefit. It just means that the test is changing. And you know, insurance companies are really clever. This is why they draft the policies in the way that they do, because there's a whole host of people who just assume, oh, I got the letter, I'm cut off. This must mean it's the end of the line for me. And for a lot of people, it simply is not. And that could be the situation for Tyler as well. So what is this change of definition? What does this all mean? At that two-year marker, once you've received 24 months of benefits from the disability insurer, then it's up to the insurer to do the analysis around what is Tyler's background from an employment perspective, education, training, what are his ongoing restrictions and limitations, which he describes for us, really difficult situation, very physical type uh, disability. And then the insurance company has to take all of that and consider whether or not Tyler is going to meet the test of total disability beyond the two-year mark. In other words, is there any occupation Tyler could do for which he is suited that would provide him an income that's roughly what the LTD benefit is and that he could still do given his ongoing health restrictions? And that onus is on the insurance company, guys. It's up to the insurance company to do that analysis, do it fairly, have up-to-date medical, and then make a decision about what's happening with your benefits. But It's a fine line, John, between making that decision, but also finding you a job. This is what Tyler's asking. Does the insurance company have to find me a job? 
No, they, they don't have that obligation. They do have to give you a fair shake in their analysis, but they don't actually have to say to you, okay, now we're going to work with you and perhaps your employer or another employer to get you a job that would work within your restrictions, restrictions and limitations. This is why, as I said at the top of the show, the medical information around what Tyler is capable of doing and not doing becomes very, very important. He describes for us that he can sit at his computer watching TV, perhaps doing some computer work. And I can tell you, that's the fallback position for disability insurers when there's a physical disability claim, John. That's what they want to do. They want to say, okay, you've done a physical job all your life and we've been paying you for two years on that. But now we, we really want to cut you off because we think you can sit for eight hours a day and answer phones and be, you know, put in a, be a data entry clerk or some other, you know, fairly sedentary light physical duty type job. But if Tyler's medical profile still prevents him from doing a job like that, then no, that's not the correct analysis for the insurance company. So I think in Tyler's situation, those nuances, the restrictions and limitations that are ongoing and the capacity to actually sit and function and think and work will be very, very important in terms of what the insurance company's obligations are to continue paying that disability benefit. If the medical is there, those benefits should absolutely be continuing on. It's interesting, though. I mean, no one is expecting you know, the insurance company to take drive around to job interviews, but are, are they not going to start throwing a list of things at you, possible potential jobs, which you could do if, how about we get you off claim and get on these jobs? I mean, we can, after the break, get into the whole concept of you know proper pay and how much that's supposed right. to be with commensurate income, so on and so forth. But I think that would be something that the insurance company would be uh, would be eager to, to get started on. I want to ask you that and get back to it after a short break, for and sure. then we'll move on to more, more emails for sure. In the meantime, you can reach out and have your say here uh, live 416-872-1010 if you want to call into the show we welcome you to do that anytime bring it on or text your questions if you're a little more bashful 71010 is the text number in the meantime we'll continue here at the disability law show on the bell talk radio network Welcome back to the Disability Law Show on the Bell Talk Radio Network. Yeah, welcome back indeed. It is uh, 1.34. Good to have you along for the ride this afternoon. By the way, you can reach out uh, anytime. When we're not doing the show, real simple, Tamara Gopian, absolutely brilliant when it comes to these matters. Uh, you know, she's been on the dark side. She's worked for the insurance companies before, so she knows all the bag of tricks. And now she's uh, there to uh, to help you and work with you as well. Want to reach out? one 821 5900 anytime with Tamar. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And as we mentioned, a great website uh, about LTD and, and all different kinds of memos. Really, really, uh, really easy to break down. There's boxes you click on, then there's talking points and questions uh, in the drop-down menu. That is ltdfaq.ca, of course, absolutely free and anonymous, so you can use that anytime. I want to get to a very good text that uh, Mike just sent in here in just a minute tomorrow, but we we're talking about Tyler and uh, possibly, you know, eventually, maybe, hopefully going back to work. And for those who are looking at that sort of thing, um, we, we know we've established that the insurance company is not literally going to take you out to job interviews and write your CV and all that stuff. But at the same time, do they not want you to get out there and maybe give you a list of jobs which you can possibly do? They might be completely off the wall and not even close to being on the mark as far as compensation is concerned. But how does that work? How do you navigate that? Yeah, that's It's an interesting one because as I said, when I was dealing with Tyler's email, that the mm-hmm. onus is on the insurance company to identify 
you know, look, these are the other jobs we think you can do. And part of that analysis is absolutely that threshold for earnings. So how does that threshold get created? Well, some policies will actually have a percentage in there. It'll say, you know, if you can be, quote unquote, gainfully occupied or gainfully employed, earning 60% of what you were earning before, and your health doesn't prevent you from doing these other occupations, earning 60%, then we're going to cut off the claim, wash our hands of you, and we think you can go off and do this job and earn 60%. Some uh, policies will be silent on that commensurate earning level. So you might ask me, okay, well then what is it that's the guiding point? Some will be typically what the LTD benefit is. That's usually two-thirds of what you're making, 66.67%. Some case law actually says that it's about 65% to 75%. So basically you're in that range though, John. So in other words, the threshold for alternative earnings is relatively low. It's no longer that you are going to be back to a job where you're earning 100% of what you were making before you went off on disability. And I think that's the most frustrating part for people is that, well, hang on, but I don't want to give up my job. I do want to go back to that job. I want to earn 100% of my salary. I'm still not well enough. You know, how does the insurance company justify cutting off my claim on this basis? And I think that's why it's important to understand what medical information is available for you to actually do this 60 or 65% paying job, right? Is the insurance company actually making these correct assumptions? Because a lot of the time they're not, John. A lot of the time they're sort of cherry picking medical information or being strategic around what that commensurate level work is. You know, I I can recall a conversation I had with an individual who's retaining me this week. And he's like, Tamar, everybody, the fallback position seems to be that everybody's going to be a dispatcher. Everyone's like, that's going to be the job, okay? And and he literally said, he's like, I, I've got five other coworkers who have all been told by the insurance company that they're all going to be dispatchers. He's like, at my employment, there's only one dispatcher. So we can't all five of us be this dispatcher position. Right. So it's an interesting conversation, but also one that the insurance companies have been cleverly live to, and they've started to add in the any occupation definition that the availability of these other occupations will not form part of our analysis. Wow. So, you know, this is what I'm saying. It's so one-sided. These policies are very unrealistic. And only when you challenge the disability insurer's assumptions and decision to cut you off, do you actually see how well this plays itself out in the context of a legal claim? Because even though that provision might be in the policy, these insurance companies are not going to fight you on that before a judge or a court. They know they're going to lose in a situation like that. But you as a disability claimant, you're looking at this letter, you're thinking, "Eh, you know, the thing's stacked against me. I'm not sure what to do here. I guess I'm going to go out and earn 60%. Maybe I find a dispatcher job, maybe not, maybe I'm a Walmart greeter, whatever the case might be. But if the medical doesn't support that analysis and the insurance company hasn't done that proper analysis, guess what? It means your your benefits should have continued. So anyway, that's the backdrop of that situation. Yeah. And I think that what I want to encourage individuals is that if it doesn't smell right, it doesn't seem right, it usually probably isn't right. So do give us the opportunity to sort of weigh in in your situation and see whether we can assist. Yeah, we got a we got a dispatcher job for you. It's in Tuktaaktuk, but you know you can have a job. It like, come on, honestly. Right. 
Want to get to uh, to Mikey's text. Mike, thanks so much for reaching out to, on the show today. You can uh, as well anytime that we're on the air. 71010 is a way to do that. Mike says, my wife is a teacher. She unfortunately got encephalitis March 2021, and it's been life-changing. Lucky to be alive. She really wants to try and go back to work, but doctors are saying no. She needs to do something. Her mental health is not good. She is on LTD. She called the insurance company wanting to go back, but they also said no. Is she allowed to try and work at something that she should she feel comfortable doing as a matter of fact being home 24 7 is not healthy for her. thanks says mike wow what do you think great about that? email yeah great text yeah. sorry with a text right mm-hmm. yep. thanks mike for that text and so is she allowed of course she's allowed i mean you know i don't ever want to suggest to individuals that they're they should be doing not doing something that they wish to do I just, my concern, of course, is that her own, if her own doctors are discouraging it, then there must be a medical reason why they're discouraging it. And for those who might not know, encephalitis is the inflammation of the brain. Uh, it, it can impact individuals in different ways. I suspect that it's impacting uh, Mike's wife, possibly in a cognitive way, uh, maybe even in a physical and emotional way. And most certainly, you know, you want to still feel as though you're a contributing member to society. And it can be difficult to sort of even accept that label of, look, I'm disabled and I'm never going to work again. Situations like this, I would say you'd, you really do want to follow the medical advice you're giving. I'm less concerned about what the insurance company is saying. I'm more concerned about what advice she's getting from unbiased, right? Someone who's in your corner, not, not the insurance company's doctors. And being mindful of the fact that, look, you absolutely can get back to work if you're going to go against medical advice to do so. But just be aware that that could then compromise what happens with your disability claim. So it doesn't necessarily mean that your long-term disability benefits will continue. You may get some resistance after that in terms of getting back on claim. If your return to work is not successful, for example, it can be a little bit of a challenge to navigate that with teachers in particular, John, as well. They have pension um, contributions and a disability uh, realm in the pension world as well for teachers in particular. So there could be issues with that and what happens with um, Mike's you know, wife's pension. So lots of considerations here. And so, look, I, I don't know enough of what the restrictions and limitations here are, why the insurance company, frankly, is saying that she shouldn't attempt to work. Uh, that's surprising to me, but okay. Uh, but perhaps it can be a non-income supporting type work. You know, perhaps a volunteer work or a community-based engagement might offer Mike's wife the outlet that she needs to improve her mental health and get out of the house and do the things that I think he's hoping that she will engage with without necessarily it being quote-unquote income that she's receiving and therefore potentially impacting the long-term disability claim. Because Let's not forget the disability insurer will try and hang their hat on any level of function that you might have. So if she does go out and make an attempt to do something else, and that level of function is in line with her being able to work, what do you think the insurance company is going to say in a scenario like that? Of course, they're going to be aggressive about trying to cut off the claim at that point. So you want to be really, really careful that you've got the support of your doctor on what you can and cannot do. By all means, if you want to engage with the world, you should. 
Total disability doesn't mean you're laid up at home. Okay. You can engage with the world, but be mindful that the insurance company is looking for a level of function to sort of justify closing out that claim before it does click over to the, you know, past the two year mark and potentially beyond. Because at that point, it's going to be really, really tough to shake you off claim. It's interesting though. How does it work if, if the, I mean, it's one thing if the insurance company says no as well to going back to work, but if your doctor's saying no and she decides to anyway, if something happens where it doesn't work out for, can the insurance company hold a gauge and saying, hey, you're not even qualifying for the recurrence clause because your medical team said don't do this. Can it backfire drastically on it? You know, that's really tricky, John. I don't want to say yes or no. It's kind of a gray zone because the recurrence clause, for those who might not know what it is, is a clause that allows you to get back onto LTD benefits within a certain window after you completed a certain benefit period. So you're on, you make a successful return to work for a period of time, that doesn't pan itself out. And usually if it's within six months of getting disability benefits, say the first time around, you can activate that recurrence clause and get back on claim once more. But as I said, insurance companies don't want you back on claim once they've cut you off or ended your claim. Mm -hmm. You typically get a lot of resistance in that phase. But look, let's maybe pick this up after our next break. What do you think? We will. Absolutely. And in the meantime, if you want to send a text along like Mike did, thanks again, Mike. That is a 71010 to do that anytime during the show. And phone call, call in as well with something related to LTD anyway, 416-872-1010. And we'll continue. This is the Disability Law Show on the Bell Talk Radio Network. This is the Bell Talk Radio Network, and you're listening to The Disability Law Show. And welcome back. A few minutes to go. We've still got some time. You do indeed to uh, call us here on air and ask Tamara uh, any questions you have if you're dealing with a long-term disability insurer that's playing nasty or you're just calling on behalf of a friend, possibly a family member who could use a little assistance. You can do that. 416-872-1010. There's the number. Text as well, like uh, like Mikey did. And that, that would be 71010. Anytime it'll reach out afterwards to Tamara and her team. Help at disabilityrights.ca and the phone number, which is toll-free. Consultations are easy. Conversations are easy. 1-855-821-5900. All right, pick it up where we uh, where we left right. off, Pal, before we move into another email. What do you got going so, on? So I, I just wanted to finish my thought on the whole recurrence issue. Yeah. And, and here's why. Because it is there conceived of because it wants to encourage individuals. The idea is that you should be encouraged and supported to get back to work. And most people do actually, John, want to get back to work. They don't actually want to be in a disability status receiving disability benefits, despite what cynical insurance adjusters want to believe. Uh, But what I have seen, and my, my team will say this as well, is that once the insurance company has successfully, quote unquote, closed your file, you're going to get a lot of resistance in terms of them reopening that claim and putting you back on claim for a recurrence. Because that attempted return to work, if it's supported by your doctors, fine. But the work stoppage has also got to be supported by your doctors. So what ends up happening from the insurance company's perspective is, is they'll say, in theory, okay, your doctors supported the return to work. You went back. What what didn't work here? What happened here that made you stop working again? And so if you don't have additional medical support for why you stopped working, 
from a health perspective, then the insurance company will say, well, there's just insufficient medical information to support your recurrence claim. Mm -hmm. So you want to be really, really certain and supported to attempt the return. And also, if that return is not successful, make sure that that's being documented by your own medical team so that at least you've got a basis for why your work stoppage occurred, why your return to work wasn't successful, why you need to get back on claim and get that disability benefit. Look, if it's resisted, you have options. I don't want people to give up and feel that they have to force themselves to continue working when their health is preventing them from working. No, that's not the case. The insurance company should be stepping up. We have helped lots of people in circumstances like this, but it can be a frustrating process if the process wasn't right at timed correctly to begin with. Right, John? Because insurance companies like to impose this return to work plan they like to rush it, right? They want to really just get you back because if they can get you back, they have to, they can stop paying you and that's the end of the claim and full stop. And that yeah. only helps the insurance company, not the claimant. Here's your hat. What's your hurry? Exactly. Yeah. That's about the way it works, right? Let me ask you this. So if someone's disabled from working due to uh, an MVA, as you guys call it, a motor vehicle right. accident or some other incident resulting in injury, can, uh, can you guys help? Can you and your team help in that regard? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We've got a ton of experience working in those realms. So motor vehicle litigation, personal injury litigation is what we also call it. So if you're injured, let's say on a sidewalk or a, a you know commercial space, uh, you know the, the, you're in a motor vehicle accident, I can think of a, a number of different situations, then you could be you know, you could have access not only to disability benefits if you're prevented from working, but there are also other causes of action and other buckets, so to speak, of compensation potentially if there was someone, an entity, a person, a company that was responsible for you becoming injured. Uh, so very simple example, you're in a car accident, it was someone else's fault, you were injured, you can access accident benefits, which are benefits and, and income support and rehab support, and a whole host of other things through your own insurance company. You can also access disability benefits through your employer, and you could potentially have a tort claim. So a claim for pain and suffering and other losses and damages against the individual or individuals who caused the accident and your injuries in the first place. So that's one example of the situation. And so look, at the end of the day, I think what I want individuals to understand is that it's not just a one size fits all necessarily if you've got a disability claim. If you've got other components as to why you're in that situation, please don't hesitate to reach out to us as well. We'll help you navigate through where to seek these other sources of compensation, get the process started for you as well. If individuals need to be put on notice, for example, or if you need assistance with your accident benefits claim, all of that, we are, we are a full service shop. There's a whole host of things that we can offer by way of support and services. And of course, not to mention the fact that we want to support you with your disability claim yeah. if you're getting resistance from the insurance company to get compensation there. So reach out guys for sure. Tomorrow is what she's basically saying. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. You're well covered in that situation as well. Uh, we got time for Millie's email. Millie says, sure. guys, I've been on LTD and CPP disability for over two years with fibromyalgia and migraines. My insurance provider is sending me to one of their doctors for a mandatory medical assessment. My doctor has told me that I am permanently off work, so I don't see the point of it. Whatever. Do I have to attend? 
I don't see the point of it either, Millie. Yeah, yeah. Permanent's (laughs) permanent, right? Permanent is permanent. And she's CPP approved, John. That means the government has recognized that she's got a severe and prolonged Prolonged, disability, right? That is the test to qualify. She's also receiving long-term disability benefits, she says to us, for over two years. So she likely has already been approved into the any occupation phase of the policy. So for a period of time already, the disability insurer has accepted that she's not capable of not only going back to her own job, but to any job, anything for which she could have the minimum qualifications and that her health is preventing her from doing those other jobs. And we talked about that earlier in the show about the commensurate wage and so on. And so look, you know, what does this come down to? Well, it's an insurance company who's probably looking at her profile and thinking, gosh, we may have her on claim until she turns 65. That's right. Most disability benefits, right? They pay until you turn 65 years old if you continue to qualify as totally disabled. And so one of the strategies that disability insurers use is to have you examined by one of their own doctors. Now, this is a hired gun. John, they are paying this doctor to review you, assess you, and really give them some kind of basis to try and cut off the claim. So there's an inherent bias there, okay? This is not someone who's going to provide you with support and treatment and, you know, do all of the things that typical medical practitioners should be doing. This is someone who is being given specific questions to answer do the assessment, let us know, can this person work at all? You know, what's their current status? You know, could they work in six months? And you can bet if that conclusion is given by a doctor, the insurance company is going to rely on it. Unfortunately, though, most policies say if they identify that you need this kind of rehab, you've got to go, my apologies, not rehab, but an assessment, you've got to go to the assessment. So you've got to cooperate, but there are things that you can do to protect yourself. The main thing, of course, is make sure that your medical team is engaged in case you need to rebut or get other treatment or provide a different opinion to the insurance company that your disability is ongoing and quote unquote permanent. And therefore you should continue getting your benefit. Yeah, because CPP in that case is your friend, right? Because it's a tough test, as you mentioned. So there you go. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to reach out now that we are done for this Saturday? Thank you so much for your contributions and for tuning in. You can do so anytime. 1-855-821-5900. That's the number to get a hold of Tamar and her team. The email address we always go to, help at disabilityrights.ca. You can ask questions at mydisabilityquestions.com. And we did refer to it a couple times during the show, free and anonymous memos about LTD. Simple to use too, right? Because that's key ltdfaq.ca we'll catch you next time on the disability law show here on the bell talk radio network 